Welcome, everybody. We want to welcome you to this exciting episode of the Butler Legacy Podcast. Uh, I'm excited, Loretta, to be here again to record, you know, you know, another one of these fantastic episodes with such tremendous guests. Oh, I am excited. I believe this is going to be pretty, pretty great today. I am so happy that my former colleague is in the house. I'm so happy that his brother, your business partner, you know, just these generational, we we haven't identified who they are yet today, but this is going to be really exciting. Thank you so much. Great to see you again. We've had a little break. We have had a little break, but it's good to be back here. And so before we start, we just want to say a special shout out to our sponsors. Of course, the Echo uh, Current here at Bahama for sponsoring uh, this Legacy podcast, as well as the Butler Legacy Foundation. Thank you guys for continuing to believe in us and just telling stories of Bahamian families. And as we said when we started these podcasts, our hope is to inspire other families as they hear about the legacy of Samilo and Lady Caroline to think about their own legacies and what they can do to have impact and inspiration as we celebrate particularly the 50th anniversary of independence of our country. So Loretta, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, introduce and welcome our special guest. Well, first of all, hold on. <laughs> I got to tell you, these podcasts have been so interesting. The response that we have gotten from the the public in general has been amazing because, you know, it's not so much just about the history, but it's those little unknown stories that we share so intimately in these conversational settings that really piques people's interest. And that is why I'm so excited about today, because we have in the house here at the Echo Gallery, two exciting, distinguished Bahamian men in their own rights, whom I'm happy to say that I do know. First of all, we have our former Deputy Prime Minister, the illustrious <laughs> Mr. Is he illustrious? Absolutely, okay, yes. Okay. Brent Simonette in the house. Yes, Thank you. he's amazing. Welcome, Brent. Thank you very Welcome. much. Welcome to be here. And of course, we have his brother. Yes. Um, they're, they're funny because, you know, Brent wants to say that he's younger, but no, we have Craig <laughs> in the house, who you have worked with so closely on so many levels. Yes, Craig and has been so, a bit of a mentor to me. You know, we served on several boards together, uh, obviously a serial entrepreneur mm -hmm. uh, and somebody who my father had a longstanding relationship mm -hmm. with, both these gentlemen, particularly Craig. So delighted to have you join us, Craig, as well. Thank you, Franklin. And Thank the you, significance of having the Simonets, I was saying off air, um, that when Brent introduced me to frontline politics in 2001, officially, there was this big like, <gasps> you know, sort yeah. of gasp. But what people <laughs> did not realize at the time is that the relationship with the Simonets and the Butler goes back generations. generations. And so we're so delighted to have them here today to be able to share their story, their recollections of, you know, our grandfather, our great-grandmother, their father, their mother, and so on and so forth. So welcome, gentlemen. We are so happy to have you both. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Loretta. So, to Loretta's point, as I understand it, Brent, maybe you tell me, uh, or maybe I should ask Craig's, being that you're the older brother. Uh -huh. My understanding <laughs> is, my understanding is this relationship, let's talk about where this relationship started. As I understand it, Samilo's mother, Frances Butler, uh, a member of Ebenezer Church, the irony of that, and I understand who was probably the only black woman to sit in the front seat at Ebenezer Church, uh, which was, I guess, a novel idea at that time when the Bahamas certainly wasn't as inclusive and integrated as it is today, but always drew on your father. The stories in our families that um, 
Francis Butler could call Sir Roland at any time to support any of her community initiatives. What are your recollections of that relationship? Well, you're right. I, I certainly remember, especially the, the fairs and the when it came time to get rid of the coffee and the cakes and the f- leftover foods, they would always go to Samala's mother. Yeah. And um, sometimes we'd take them together. I drove the Ford Falcon and my father would help distribute it. I think that basically because, you know, you've got to remember the two gentlemen grew up a mile apart from each other, lived their lives a mile apart from each other. Um, I'd have to say that there's a strong connotation that part of that was due to that area being in Shirlia, which was the area my father, our father represented in, in Parliament, but really just because of good friendship too. And uh, just to tell you a funny story of it, I, my father told me once that he was asked to, he would always go and buy the rest, everything left over on the table at the time that the requests would come. <laughs> and he said, one time he said that he didn't, couldn't give the coffee away because I had no cups and everything at the time. And um, so he said, well, let me take the coffee down to the shipyard and give it to the watchman. And he had a few sandwiches with it. The watchman looked at him and said, well, Sir Roland, I'll take the... I'll take the sandwiches, but that coffee it might keep me awake. Oh. <laughs> and there was the watchman saying this. Exactly. So ironic. <laughs> so we blame that one on your great-grandmother. Yes, 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 oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, no, I think Craig was right. I, I, certainly I remember when we switched sides, because our dad used to go to Ebenezer, because he was born a, a Methodist next to the uh, Methodist church in current Car- Luther, then we moved to Nassau. Uh, Ebenezer was his home church, was our home church for a long time. And yeah, I remember we switched sides. One day we always sit at the front at the right and we end up sitting at the front at the I, left. I, I just wanted you to bring clarity to that about switching, switching sides. sides. I agree. Because that could be political. Oh, the church. Too. Oh, the church. <laughs> they have sides too. <laughs> no, in yeah. the front row in, in yeah. Ebenezer. And that was a time when it was recognized that what you're saying in terms of integration um, happened and dad and your, and your grandmother were in line with that, and I think they probably orchestrated it. Well, just to, you know, give context to this. I mean, you know, we dance around this issue, but it's so important that we actually talk about it. Our grandmother was black. Black people were not generally allowed to sit there Correct. at the front. They had to use a different entrance and so on and so forth. She was a maverick. She was a pioneer, obviously. Sir Roland concurred. He was a very powerful man, not only being the representative, as Craig has said, for the city, but you know, even within his church community, he was very, very integral, very strong member of the Methodist church. And so there had to be some collusion agreement to allow this black woman to have such a prominent position in, in, in the church. Let me just interject so we sort of get a little idea of the balance. When dad first ran for parliament in 1935, he nominated on 13th of March, which happened to be the day he died, which happened to be the day I nominated, but it just happened that day. Wow, that is interesting. Just, just, he was, they thought he was going to nominate in Nassau. And the powers that be were not in favor of the old man nominating the powers that be in 1935 were not in favor of R.T. Simonette running for parliament. So in those days, you nominated in different times in different islands. So in the middle of the night, he jumps on his boat, sails to Luthra, and nominates for Harbor Island, and leaves the powers that be holding the bag in Nassau, waiting for him to come. (laughs) So don't always assume that R.T. Simonette was the favorite 
or part of that set of people. I got wow, you. that is amazing. Interesting. See, and he, he then was... moved to Nassau in the next election in the Eastern District, which happened to be Montague for you and me, uh -huh. and then subsequently St. Anne's. Okay. Well, that is important for us to know because once again, you know, it shows his ingenuity and in being able to understand the political landscape as well. And, you know, so when you put all of this together and you realize, hey, you know, maybe he was not always the favorite person and maybe he had an understanding of the underdog. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's probably some of the commonality that we probably have through multiple generations, this idea of being rebels. And I say that in a positive way, this idea that, you know. But he won that election. I'm sure he did, right? <laughs> but the reality is, is this whole idea of, you know, recognizing that while we have differences, we've got to be able to rebel within a context, within these systems of governance, whether that's political parties or whether that's, you know, in the church, to make sure that people recognize that at the end of the day, progress comes at, at some type mm -hmm. of price. Mm -hmm. It does. And I think that that is what makes these two families, especially when you look at the pioneering spirit, people would talk about, you know, how Sir Roland did this and did that to be um, recognized as a merchant, how Sir Milo did the same, but they both shared a very mutual understanding of building where there was strength in business. Sir Roland took one route, Sir Milo took another, but at the end of the day, they were both trailblazers in their mm -hmm. respective um, businesses. No question about that. I think that's pretty well documented that. But also at a time that, don't forget, in politics, you weren't paid. So the, the, the salaries in, as cabinet ministers and parliamentarians came a lot longer down the road. So when they, in 1935 and, and in the years when Sir Milo and, and our father did it, that was, you would go to the House Assembly at 8.15 at night. Interesting. That is correct. After work. The, after work. After work. Mm -hmm. So get this right. And you were in a round table. There was no political parties. You had senior member and junior member. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, because the political parties only came into existence in, in the, the late 50s. 50s. That's right. So for a long time, and you also had a British governor. Understood. So don't forget, it wasn't like, you know, we didn't have independence then. So you, the uh, it was Legislative Council and Executive Council, the House of Assembly. And the people were elected there. And like Bobby, when he was in Exuma, he had he was with Freddie Brown. Correct. The two members there. Yeah. Um, uh, so each, it wasn't politics as, as such. I got you. So you could get a, a, two different fellows from one constituency. Understood, understood, understood. So let's talk about it. I think this is a great transition point to talk about, you know, particularly Sir Roland and Sir Milo from a political perspective. And, and you know, <clears throat> we have so many stories of obviously Sir Roland being uh, the premier of the Bahamas. Sir Milo obviously would have been, you know, one of the champions of the... Um, majority rule and, and uh, movement. What do you recall of that relationship of Samilo and, and, and Sir Roland in particular, uh, particularly from a political uh, House of Assembly perspective? I think there was always the appearance of opposition or different views. Um, Loretta can attest to it just as easy as I can. You get in the House of Assembly and you stand up there and you throw some serious blows at each other. You go in the smoker's room and you break bread together and, and, and crack jokes. Yeah. While you might have differences of ideology or whatever you want to, there was a common ground that you, both of the, certainly those two, two men, respected they were doing the best they could for the common good of everyone in the Bahamas. Yeah. I think that's true, but you know, there was also more, um, 
collegiality, mm-hmm. um, genteel relationships outside of the political arena. I think that, you know, when people and, and the general public, you know, they sort of say this a lot. Oh, you see those people in the House of Assembly, you know, killing each other, but they're best friends. I think it's a lot more than that. You've got to be able to respect individuals um, for what they bring and their views. Yeah. Uh, I believe that a lot of people who are and not in politics believe that we should be mortal enemies yeah. Yeah, on absolutely. all levels. And obviously mm-hmm. that's not going to work. We're a very small population. We have to interact together. We have to do business together. We cannot be mortal enemies in our social environments. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is best brought out by Sir Lennon's tribute speech to my our father when um, he was retiring after 54 years. Sir Lennon stood up and said, well, Sir Alden, we wish you well in your future career. We've had bitter arguments in this house, disagreed vehemently on many, many points of view, but it never degraded to the personal. Absolutely. And I think that sums it up best. That I, they were they had a lot of mutual respect. I, I mean, as, as Franklin knows, um, our family never had any business dealings with the Pendling family, but we certainly had many, many business dealings with the Butler family that all originated with Samilo and Sir Roland. Right. And but, then graduated from there. But you know, even interestingly enough, Mrs. Pindling has spoken about the fact that your mother, yes, mm-hmm. your mother actually, you know, and them demitting office and, you know, Pindling and um, Mrs. Pindling coming into office. I think she talked about how your mother actually helped to groom her and encourage her mm-hmm. and tell her, you know, about different aspects of the office. And I think that, you know, from an historical standpoint, if we talk about being at our 50-year legacy, there is no way that we can have people that are opposed to each other at political yes. levels not being um, collegial or, you know, respectful to persons on the other side in a social environment. So that says a lot about mm. your mother sure. as well. Yeah. And obviously that was something that Sir Roland um, felt, you know, should have happened as well, I imagine. I think if you look back on it, possibly politics has gone too far adversarial mm. and it's no longer, you know, it's it's a nasty fight out there. I mean, you, it is. You've you've, it you've is. experienced it. <laughs> That's and, right. When it be, when it begins I mean, to attack you personally, yeah. that is mm-hmm. when it becomes a real real heartbreaker for me. Whether yeah. it's your own political party, in your case, when you ran for for leadership, and you know, in the middle of the night, you felt the heat of what the heat was. Absolutely. Or whether it's adversarial, you know, against parties, it, it. I think, and I think, hopefully, maybe in the next election or wherever, we can get on better keel. I think friendly fire is worse than enemy fire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one comes from the front. Exactly, that's probably the thing, yeah. One from the back is more dangerous. But you know, fundamentally, you know, with Brent and I talking on this and, you know, with Craig, you know, expanding, I think it's so important that when we look in the context of this legacy podcast and what we want to achieve and how we want to frame a Bahamas for the next 50 years, there are those of us who have been in the fray, who no longer need to be in the fray, that we need to help, I believe, to mentor those values that our parents and grandparents espoused. Yes. 
Yes. No question about it. But don't yeah. forget, there's a lot of commonality between uh, Samilo and, and our father in, in that they, they were self-made people. Absolutely. Um, our father was the youngest of nine. Um, you know, really started off farming and sailing gradually. But it wasn't like maybe like the four of us who, who inherited something. Absolutely. Um, they started off from the from the real from grass the ground, ground up, up. Ground up yeah. and they both mm -hmm. fought their fights in different areas in in, in business and um you know Samila became an icon in the in the pond i mean that i mean that's a pity the building's not there anymore absolutely I mean, we should have saved we should have saved that but totally that's, agree. Yeah. that's another story but, but that's all <clears throat> a part of this legacy what we what we need to impart to this generation there are too many people as uncle frank used to say that are part of the microwave um yeah instant society mm -hmm. the instant society mm -hmm. people look at Craig Simonet, they look at Brent Simonet, they look at Franklin, and they say, oh, I want to be like that. But they don't understand that even with an inheritance, there is a struggle. They don't understand the story that the Sir Milo's, that the Sir Rollins actually went through to achieve what they achieved. Mm -hmm. They did not start out with a lot. They pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps they were disciplined. They always had the church at the center of their no lives. That's for sure. You know, and, you know, many times we lose focus on those sort of intangibles that are so important to building the character of these men. And that's why these men are legendary. And that's why it's important that we continue to share their lessons with the next generations. I had the opportunity the other day of, of or Robin, my wife, actually read them to me some of my old man's our father's um love letters to our mother and he was talking in 1945 about shipping tomatoes oh, to canada interesting and in those days there wasn't re well, yes. craig would call them reefers or you, exactly. you know yeah, there was yeah. no refrigerated containers, containers yeah. and the boat didn't make it or the weather was bad and how the tomatoes were going to to, to rotten so i mean this was the whole thing and or or bananas from the down south or where or, 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 yeah. or where in yeah. we had boats going yeah. to, to jamaica latin yeah. america yeah. and so on and so forth that was you know people probably don't know of that type of history um or you go to the you go to the store in the pond and, and used to buy leaf tobacco yeah yeah i yeah. remember by the pound i remember and, keros right. and kerosene and kerosene, and pump it kerosene, out kerosene the, oil and i get yeah pump it yeah. out and the, sometimes yeah. it spills all over yeah. you and while you're chugging like, it yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. let's yeah. talk about the ice factory yeah. Yeah. absolutely yes. um, that's right. yeah. that's right. i can remember in the shipyard the big band saws because at that time they were building ships used to create a lot of sawdust yeah and of course all the sawdust went out to the ice factory to cover the ice and that's right and you know it's so it's like i said these historical points are so important because people do not realize that when you're beginning a journey of entrepreneurship it starts at the bottom no question about you it. you know no question. and there are stairs that have to be taken each step at a time there is no fast quick way of getting to the top no. yeah but going back to farming and the the scale of farming in the in those days, in the same letters that Brent's referring to, I can remember Sir Roland writing about forty thousand cases of pineapples mm -hmm. from Cat Island. <coughs> wow! Now very few people think of Cat Island as a as a, a farming as a, a, a pineapple place. Yeah. <coughs> you know, they think of uh, Eleuthera. Yeah. Uh, but um, they thought nothing of that size of 
uh, crop. And yeah. uh, nowadays, you know, it's we've gone backwards in many ways. Yeah. Absolutely. When you compare to what used to be. Well, I mean, now, of course, we have competition with yeah. reefer and chilled mm. and faster ships from the United States and yeah. but don't the great enormity of the American Sawyer's farming market. pigeon peas. And yep. I remember yeah. they went out of business because it was cheaper to get pigeon peas from Ghana. Absolutely, and imported. Yeah. And that's something yeah. we're focusing today. The farming, we're not farming as much as we should do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tomatoes in South Eleuthera, wherever. And yeah. it, so we talk about, and now it's interesting, government talks about being self-reliant. Yes. Um, and a, an egg farm and so on and so forth. Part, part, hopefully part of this le podcast is we have to then convince others that farming or certain certain um, careers are dignified. That's a good word. Dignified. Yeah. In other they're, words, they're there's nothing wrong ways. with being a farmer or, or whatever. Yeah. Some of the wealthiest people in the world, and we know some of them right here, farmed peanuts. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, to make it, but I'm really proud of the fact that even in the Simonet family, you see the generational transition of farming tomatoes. Yep. Because today, um, even though the methodology methodology has, has changed, changed yeah. you see the Lucayan Tropical Nurseries today produce. And, and uh, let me, for context, you see that where Cameron yep. and that third generation or fourth generation of Simonets is expanding on the technology of producing tomatoes and everything for our market. Definitely. And you mm -hmm. know, we're so proud that we can go into the supermarkets and get these wonderful fresh produce which is also important for the health of our nation no question about it no yeah. question about it. that's true but it's also been a battle craig would be better to tell of getting that those tomatoes on the front shelf of the food store too right. because yeah. a lot of times we want imported yeah. it has to come over the bar well yeah. this is this and, and we're not like i got some tomatoes the other day from baic a nice box of tomatoes for twenty dollars or whatever yeah they they have taste yeah, yeah. some yeah. of these ones that Import. Other, some food stores sell. Um, <laughs> don't have any taste. Yeah, yeah. So I want to just transition. Us. I, I think this point of agriculture and entrepreneurship is one area. But if we think about Samilo, Sirolan being political emissaries, and then we now have this partnership that we have as families, you know, I think there are a lot of Bahamians who struggle about this race divide. And they see the politics and the acrimony that comes with the banter that comes in the public domain. What can be done? Samilo was, as I know it, very intentional. I suspect, Sir Roland, if we think about how we became partners with you guys in Commonwealth Bank and other investments, there was this willingness to open the door. What can we do? How can we demonstrate for other Bahamians who are looking to bridge this racial divide or this perception that, you know, no, one like race has more opportunities than the other? Certainly, we have found a way to bridge that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some lessons, perhaps, that we should be able to yeah. share with others around yeah. what we can do to make sure that we continue to bridge these... Uh, That's a very good question. And I um, want to go back to one of your former podcasts, because I very much enjoyed listening to Sir Franklin Wilson talk about that very point. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> I'm talking now about one of the organizations that I think did a long way, went a long way to doing this was the YPO group, right. Young President's Organization. It was brought to this country by Sir John Templeton. Right. And Sir Franklin Wilson was paramount in bringing it to us. Yeah. Now your father and I were members at the time, yeah. going back to the early 80s. Um, Sir Frank Franklin Wilson was very instrumental in founding it. Correct. But to your point of bringing people together, that's how I really got to know Bradley Roberts, ah. Bismarck Coakley, 
so many persons at that time, the Sunshine Group, were developing new businesses, uh, Mr. Finlayson. Yep. And um, we all went to each other's houses for every quarter. We went out to dinner at someone else's house. And at that time, it went a long way to bringing people together. Don't forget the Salinas government had just come in 10 years before. I'm talking yep. back in the day. And I felt, in my way of answering your question, that um, that organization did a lot to to start to bring us together at a business level. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's where I certainly got to know your father very well. Um, because we had fun together. It wasn't yeah. meeting in a boardroom. Exactly. We were went to Andros, to the mm. Bortec base. Yep. To, we toured Eleuthera for two days. Zuma, we went. Andros, um, Crooked Island. We went did a trip to Crooked Island. Yeah, yeah. Where your family has interests. Yeah. And um, so... There's lots of answers to it, but I'd be interested to hear what Brent has to say about this. No, but I, in my mind, I, I attribute one of the organizations that went a long way was the Young Presidents Organization. I agree. Yeah. Interesting. Another agree. one that on pure business was probably Commonwealth Bank. Yeah. Um, for many people who don't know the history of Commonwealth Bank, it was started by a Canadian um, uh, person, company, that owned 71% of the bank. Yeah. And... It was actually a relative of my mother, our mother's. That's right. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Canadian National yeah. Bank of whatever. Laurentide, Laurentide Bank and started Laurentide Finance, finance in Canada, company in Canada yeah. Yeah. which is a very large. Anyway, it came down here. It started basically the, the, the higher purchases we know, and National Bank of Canada, as it was then, came wrote uh, our mother and said, you know, uh, we're moving out, uh, we're selling out. Uh, let us know by three o'clock today or something. It was a very, oh it was a God, very, it was a very short time. Very sh <laughs> yeah, Interesting. It was, it was, I mean, it really was yeah. a short I, kind of, I don't know if it was three hours, but yeah. it was certainly yeah. short. And Craig, mom and I had lunch together and we just said, okay, fine, we're going to buy it. <laughs> and um, that was the start. And then of course, uh, we, Bobby and Craig and I got together and mom and then we started figuring out, okay, we've got to make this bank work. So this group didn't have deep pockets in terms of the Royal Bank or the CIBC or, or those. So we had to do two things. And I'm going to take a little bit of time so a lot of people understand where this comes from. One was to raise the money to buy the bank. Yep. And one was to put money in the bank for cash in the bank. Right. Got you. So we sold off uh, blocks of $105,000. $52,500 went to buying the shares in the bank. Mm -hmm. And $52,000... 500 went to buy putting money in the bank interesting so that was the first step that's how so we then we all sat down and said okay where do we go from here and the idea was to get people on board with us who are obviously similar um ideas whatever but not only um car dealers real estate agents all the different business professions but all the different ethnic groups all the different Whatever. So you you, you create a, a kaleidoscope. I got you. Of, and I know there's some people, well, actually, the guy I'm thinking of right now is no longer with us, but he borrowed money to buy the shares and he became quite a successful insurance, uh, insurance magnet. And you got people like Junior Roberts and Craig and I who were on both sides of the divide where we had real estate transactions, where we had need for selling land and, yep. and, and financing. financing as well. Mm -hmm. And then it started, and that's how Commonwealth Bank was started. Interesting. I wrote the 
purchase check was four million something and 71 cents. And I remember I put only and signed the check. And now it's... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> only. Yeah, 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 yeah. But your father, Franklin, was one of the first exactly. to respond. That's, that's, oh, yeah, he was, Your no father question. and Sherwin Thompson. Okay. Tom, a number Reno of people. Brown. Yeah. yeah. And, hence, and hence Frankie a, became on the board then, yes. uh, on the original board yeah. with a number yeah. of us. Yeah. And, and that is so important yeah. for perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Because we hear the story constantly of the Sunshine Boys, yep. YPO, yeah. and their successes in those arenas. But Commonwealth Bank, with and your mother, mm -hmm. mentioned, he did not mention Sir Roland. Yeah. That tells you the importance well, he was of, dead. Of, of the maternal <laughs> factors. Yeah, okay? for sure. The mother and the sons and their brother came together and determined they're going to do this. And they integrated in a very, very tangible way many aspects of our social um, uh, personalities. Yep. Blacks, whites, browns, however they want to describe Absolutely. themselves. Business persons. Yep. That is... You know, to Commonwealth Bank's credit, that has to be historically noted because I don't think we pay a close attention and, and to that. And a number of other businesses, Bahamas First, um, and followed suit as J.S. Johnson. That's and then you right. got the stages with IPOs um, and, and, management bios, off, yep. and management. So that was the beginning of that stage where you started the expansion of the economy. That's right. From from uh, wherever it was to where, unfortunately. From what we call the oligarchs, yeah. you know, to so, more so inclusion. Yeah. And that yeah. is important because you remember now, even when we look at the historical perspective, Sir Milo being a merchant um, would have to go to parliament. And of course you had um, Sir Pritchard and, you yep, know, the, difference, the differences mm -hmm. we had there in, um, you know, politics overlapping business. But this was um, a landmark uh, investment. No question. Where people of all diversifications, once they could have afforded it, yep. were included. Yep. And I think that's important. And so the point of YPO and Commonwealth Bank historically are very, very important in the history of the Bahamas. But let me just inject in there one issue. We, when the, the group took over Commonwealth Bank, they, they struck a blow at the traditional four banks that were in this country. That's right, those Canadian banks. And at one point, remember, we had <laughs> the, 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 there was an, a, a difficult period there. I remember Frankie and Bobby and Craig and a number yeah, of us. Yeah. And we actually did a series of cartoons Okay. One of them was Will Your Anchor Hold, remember? <laughs> there were a number of them. They're in the boardroom at Commonwealth Bank at the moment, okay. or they used to be when I was there. Yeah. Um, and so that, they, they had to take that fight on as well, because we, the Commonwealth Bank at that point, and still is, is the leader in, in banking for Bahamians. Wow. Without question. And, you know, even with the back and forth today with and, and, and you know, we can be very, very frank here. Um, no pun intended. Uh, the reality is this. When you look at the leverage that the external foreign banks now um, sort of have over the Bahamas and they're offering less services and they're they're doing the least that they possibly can to optimize their returns. And you look at a Commonwealth Bank, and I tell people all the time, I said, you know what? You still get personalized service in yep. Commonwealth Bank. You can still talk to someone that's locally inhabiting the Bahamas. And so that is very, very important. And we're so happy that it is the Bahamian Bank. 
This is not a paid paid. This is not a this is not a paid ad. It's not a paid ad. This is not a paid ad. But this is the truth. Absolutely. And that is important. So this this speaks to the legacy of Bohemian ownership and integration. But they went on to. I mean, Craig is. Craig, I'm out of my depth on this one, but Craig is, and frankly, we talk about um, AML. Correct. And that was another yep. another step where the same type of format was used. And um, yes, but just before leaving yeah. Commonwealth, because I think this is an important part of our legacy together. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I attribute uh, f your father, Franklin, was a very conservative person. Mm -hmm. For sure. Going back to the previous podcast, <laughs> which I've enjoyed, we talked about lending and yeah. uh, don't borrow and all yeah, this type of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And um, I can remember during the early days, in the late 80s, 90s, your father always had 10 keep these ratios on the conservative side, keep on the conservative side. And um, that reflects his, the way he lived his life. And, um, and really a lot of the success of the very positive, uh, should we say, current ratios of the bank and liquidity ratios of the bank are very strong. I attribute that in many ways to Franklin Butler. Interesting. You're very insistent on it. But he was and, also, uh, he was, I didn't want to lose that point. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. But he was also a, a, a pioneer. He wanted, remember, he wanted to do trust services for Bahamians. Yeah. Because yeah, so that was an area. He that, certainly the, pushed the first Bahamian really credit pushed, card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the credit cards, yeah. which was yeah. areas that were not yeah. open yeah. generally to yeah. Bahamians. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. a great addition to yeah. Commonwealth Bank. And yeah. we, we miss him. Yeah. Very <laughs> humble. Thank you. I miss him at the end of the AGMs. He'd always stood up and stand up and thank the staff. Absolutely. And he had a good rapport with people. He was a nice, gentle man. Yeah. 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 We really appreciate you guys sharing those very intimate mm -hmm. aspects of Uncle Frank, who, in my opinion, really took the brunt of all of the challenges the Butler businesses had when Granddaddy was yeah. in full in throttle, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in politics. Because, you know, in politics, it's not a matter, well, I mean, back then, um, it was more giving from the politician. Today, it seems, I mean, a little different. But, you know, Sir Milo, Sir Roland, and uh, persons of that era were not in politics for what they got personally, because it really cost them a lot of money to be in politics. It was always about... So the Butler business, when Uncle Frank inherited it, was not as fluid as it, <laughs> as it should today. have been, yeah. because Sir Milo was always giving. Absolutely. It was a cost. Yes, yeah. it, was it was a, a huge, huge cost, cost and sacrifice. Socially, economically, on your family. Yeah. No question. And so, yeah. and so, we're really happy to know that Uncle Frank really, you know, took that by the the the, the reins and was able to build upon what he did and to to, to yeah. make a difference. I think in the a bank. lot of political pundits today would would disagree with you um, that it was a real cost being in politics. Hmm. And I'm going back. I want to make it clear: not in the 2000s, in the 70s to the. Uh, these gentlemen all got into politics because they were in business. Understood. They weren't great politicians. They were there because they were in business. Interesting. And as the country grew, which it grew tremendously from the 50s to the, however you want to measure these things, to, the, to, the, to what we have today, their businesses grew. Interesting. But you can't blame them for being in politics for the businesses growing. They Absolutely. made the businesses grow. Absolutely. Because they brought foreign investment in and all the things we had. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely but, um, right. You're absolutely right. It's a mixture right. of the two, I think, is where you'd come out. I agree. I agree. In, I think yeah. we also have to look at one thing that gets missed in a lot, and I think in one of your podcasts, you, we talk about the history of the Bahamas. I, I think we really need to write an unvarnished history, unpolitical or non-political history of the Bahamas that yep. says a, a is A and B is B. Yep. Because when you go back, and if you go back 
way back. We, we, we have the, the usual comments. But, for instance, in 1964 was the first step towards independence. Yep. We got internal self-government. Well, the first, you started with political parties, but then you got internal self-government. Yep. Uh, we're, we're the Bahamas for the first, had a, first, a premier for the first time yep. um, and ministerial government. We had every department of government apart from a couple, which was foreign affairs, police, and some others. Yep. And th that came on board in 1967. So we, we, we had a two-step before we went to independence. Correct. And Correct. a lot of people might Missed not that. remember that. Yeah. So 64, so before 64, you had people like Bobby and, and Norman Solomon and those were on the board of, of tourism. They didn't have, mi didn't have a ministry of tourism. I got you, got you. And you had, um, but, so a lot of things started as boards. Got you. And we then developed from boards into ministries and then, and, and so And on. that so, is so. important because I believe also what we lose in that conversation is you know, how did we transition to this independence? Um, were the British um, helping us? And, you know, it's interesting because I was at a talk recently where Sir Franklin and Sean McQueenie had a discussion at the University of, of the Bahamas. Bahamas. And Sean McQueenie said quite poignantly that in hindsight, in hindsight, he probably got it wrong with regards to yeah. the British involvement in enhancing our um, ability to, to be independent to, and, and what they brought to the table. And so, yes, in the historical perspective, you know, everything began in 1967, right. when in fact it didn't. Correct. And I think we've got to give oh. credit, really, to Sir Roland as the premier of internal governance um, and uh, the development setting the platform for us to be able to get to 1967 and 73. But also building on, don't forget, in the Commonwealth, there was the winds of change. England was, Britain was getting rid of her colonies. Yeah, yeah. Jamaica went independent. A number of the African colonies went independent. So there was a, a, a change in attitude in, in Britain, in London. So... It was just a matter of time before this this progressed. Yeah. So it wasn't like we jumped up one morning and said, "Let's have independence." Yeah. So, no. Brent, this is a good it, question. It, was, it, it, it sort of built on a on the foundations. Because I that remember were... certainly our father saying, "You know, it was a, it was very difficult working under the governors." Because yeah. don't forget, in those days, the governor had the final say. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And if the governor didn't like what leg legislative council said or exco said. Governor did what he wanted to do, he and you can parallel it. you can parallel that down to Turks and Caicos recently, where the, go where the governor, the governor yeah. came in and kicked the premier out. Absolutely, I yeah. mean that was the power the governor had in those days. Yeah. So the local politicians didn't, whichever political party or p persuasion, didn't have that input into into where the final say in government was. It was it was the governor. Yeah, and that's very important. Yeah, yeah. to that point. Um, Brent, this is probably a good one for you. You know, your father was the leader of the UBP. And I think in general political context, particularly where a lot of the black Bahamians are concerned, sometimes UBP can be perceived with probably some negative connotations. But we've known your family and we've seen so many of the values of your family that are very upstanding, have been helpful. You've talked about some of them, even in 64 and the contribution of Sir Roland to our own internal self-governance. How have you guys as a family reconciled or how do you think about his leadership of the UBP and the, t and the context of that time to where we now live this fully integrated investment society where you guys have really outreached to be 
parts of commerce where you've invited all shades and race and colors and creeds to be a part of our Bahamas. How, how have you guys thought about that? I think you have to look at, first of all, as we started to say, the political parties only came into existence in 1959 or whatever. Dad was leader of government from 1954, if my memory serves me mm -hmm. correct, in the, in the House. So therefore, we had that, that long, so it was a natural progression then to move into leadership of the FNM and then on to Premier. Now, in some of the cabinet meetings, there was no question it was heated. There were Stafford and Bobby, um, Norman Solomon, a number of them that had totally different views than, than, um, than my father did, our mm -hmm. father did. I mean, if you read Jean de Puch's uh, uh, eulogy to my father, he said when dad first approached him to run for politics, he said, you know, we're burnished totally different avenues. He was, <laughs> he was a young, hardened, and here was this older, settled, yeah. and they came together and, and, and Gene ended up doing the, the eulogy at the funeral. But that's, I think, where it happened. So the Bahamas then in 67, what and then don't forget in 67, a number of people left. Stafford, Bobby, Dalbinas, a number of them. There were only a few that stayed. Uh, our father, Jeff, John Stone, and a number of them. And then the second election happened, which in, in 68, 68 yep. where it was, where the stage was set. Right. Um, and then it, then it went on. And then, then the FNM came out of the free PLP. Absolutely. And when the PLP started falling to pieces in the, those early days, some of their members came out and formed. The FNM. It was then the FNM. Right. And, and, and it went, went yeah. on. But even 67 was entirely pivotal because you recall now, there was um, a gridlock or, you know, mm -hmm. with, re with, with regards to the returns on election day or election count. And there, there had to be this understanding, um, you know, because we're, we're talking about the color, the racial divide. I think it's so important that you have Sir Alvin Brennan, you have Sir Roland Simonette, who are really um, sons of the soil. Yeah, same you settlement. Know? That's right. Sons of the soil. They, they came, and they're the two that truly sort of made this difference. Now, when you look at the other persons without, you know, you know, denigrating their 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 contribution those who left mm. i feel and this is just my interpretation did not have that full vested interest like the sons of the soil i mean you look at sir roland he came up from yep. the current you look at sir alvin brennan he came up from the current they were they were they were a minority yeah. in their day in terms of economics until they built themselves up themselves yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they had a vested interest to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes, that'd yeah. be a correct statement, I think. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. So, Loretta, I, I think I just want to ask this question. You know, I think I've put both Craig and Brent on the spot about you know their role with the UBP and and and. and I never uh, voted UBP. Neither did I. Interesting. Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Never voted UBP. <laughs> but you know, people always ask. You know, when when you ran, you talked about Brent introducing you at the at, at your first uh, campaign in two thousand and one, and they would say, you know, Granddaddy must be rolling over in his grave. 
Talk to us about how you think Samilo reconciled your move from the PLP to the FNL. Well, first of all, let me just say this. I don't know if it was a stroke of genius on the part of um, former Prime Minister Ingram to have Brent introduce me or whether it was Brent who insisted that he would introduce me. But me. it was... Uh, it, pardon? It wasn't me. Okay. okay. So, so obviously there was someone that had an understanding of the historical um, significance of the families. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been someone who understood that. When that was sort of translated on the national political scene, remember now, we're one block away from Camp Road. Yep. People that I know very, very well on a very personal level, um, people that I would consider to have been friends, people who then looked at me as being um, a betrayer yep. of the, uh, the PLP values, but not knowing that what was instilled in us as children and grandchildren of Sir Milo was to be able to be educated, to be able to analyze things for ourselves and make our own determination. We were never taught that we had to be PLP. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Agreed. We were never taught that we had to walk a certain road. Absolutely. Our grandparents, our parents insisted that we got a good education so that we could have a head on our and shoulder. That's what they always said to us. Absolutely. Don't be no fool. Absolutely. You know, and so for me, um, you know, having been exposed, been off to the United States, to college and everything, having got, lived through that era of um, the Commission of Inquiry yeah. and all of, all of the ramifications that one would have sort of taken away from that, uh, I was able to make a determination for my self-actualization as to what I wanted to do. Absolutely. I did not have political aspirations. Interesting. But because I was so involved, I think, um, socially in our business and getting to know so many people across the islands of the Bahamas, I was then approached by Sylvia Scriven and Mr. Ingram about becoming involved in frontline politics. That was not my desire. And obviously I would have been aligned with that. And remember now, just in the 84 era, when Ingram was kicked out of the um, PLP, he became the underdog. And Christy. And Christy, that's right. He became the underdog. And I identified more so with that as I did with the status quo. Yeah. And so that was my decision. And when Brent introduced me, um, there was a lot of buzz that, you know, we were actually bucking against the legacy of Sir Milo, but that was only for people who knew Sir Milo on a national political stage who would not have known his values instilled in us. Absolutely. I'd like to make a comment on that, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a very personal comment as it relates to Samilo and Sir Lyndon at the time. I was at school in England and just transferring to university in Canada. And around our dinner table one night, we had some guests and we were talking about that transition that you asked about. And I made a comment to the guests, you know, it's a very good thing that the politics changed in this country in 67 because had it gone longer, I think, in my opinion, there would have been more violence or more mm -hmm. active demonstration, yep. whereas it was very peaceful. Yep. And I remember my father was very upset with me. But you can see what's happening, me being away at school and, and really not being, a, you know, I left, I left in 1965 to go to England. Um, so I, I missed a lot of this. And I remember him being particularly hurt yeah. or questioned me on why I would make a comment like that. I didn't realize I didn't mean any harm by it, but I just make the point that was 
the beginning of the transition in younger people right absolutely. thinking Definitely. that it's a good thing the change was good absolutely, absolutely. and um that's just a personal comment i thought was relevant no, to but what it we also talking gave about. you a perspective outside of the fishbowl absolutely uh, that's better put you yes. know yeah. i think yeah. it mm -hmm. gave you that yeah. perspective yeah. because once you're in the fishbowl you don't see the entire picture and you were away and you were able to see how things sort of... Uh, the um, student revolution. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. What was going on yeah. around the world. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't all peaceful. I mean, in those days, you have to put up posters at two and three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and God help you. Some of the, I get ripped if some, out too. If some of the fellas found you, rocks were flying. Yeah, 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 I remember yeah. many a night in the Eastern Parade, bottles were flying at the speakers and rocks were flying. That's and true. But everything else. Perhaps that's what I, in my last election... I'd hang, you know, we'd be on the same pole, hanging yeah, yeah, posters, sure. yeah. sure. anyway. Yeah. So, sure. so it wasn't, it, yeah. it wasn't. Um, yeah. No, that, that is true, <laughs> and you can talk about various areas. If you talk about going south through Wimsey's Bight or Green Castle, you know, there were areas that yeah, we couldn't were, go. I yeah. got you, but um, and maybe that's what I was referring to. But I thought it was relevant that my father was hurt by this young kid saying this in his house. Yeah, but I'll, I'll go. Um, one but step. he, it was the start of the change. Yeah. I remember the change. 67, yeah. the night, because I was at home then. Dad was hurt by the, the change. Obviously, he thought they had got it right. The, the calling of the election in January was, you know, the whole thing was a, was a, a current mess. But he, the main point I'm making is he was fully cognizant that the time had come. I see. Maybe not in 67, 67 but he was cognizant it was on its way, way. and oh, well on that's its way. Got you. Yeah. And he was yeah. going to be whatever he could do to help it to get to there. Yeah. Now, there were some others in his cabinet that weren't were quite not there. as comfortable yeah. with that, but yeah. he certainly was, if it wasn't this election, it'd be the next election. Yeah. That's really good to yeah. know. I, Loretta mentioned that I introduced her in, in whenever it was, 19, 2001. 2001. Yeah. Um, in subsequent years, when the FNM did the boundary changes, every government that did boundary changes lost. Interesting, I didn't know. You know, that. if you go back and every- Yeah, Brent and I had to do some yeah, work yeah, there. Yeah, so, so when we did the boundary change in the last time, um, Loretta took Montague. That's right. Which is my seat. <laughs> That's right. I gave her Montague. That's right. And, <laughs> and I want I you to, to say that. I, went, I gave her Montague I and I went into St. Anne's. And she took also, it and ran with it. No, but we also, <laughs> I didn't know we that. also no. had to make a strategic decision, if you recall, yeah. whether we were going to actually be able to get two seats or one, the PLP oh. had hoped we would only get one seat. I see. You remember that? So I, I took St. Anne's. That's right. Interesting. Which was not a traditional. F&M stronghold. Yeah, because I was going into Yamacraw. I got that's you. That's right. I didn't know and, that. And, and, and that is important for Brent to say, and we did have some little, <laughs> but in the end, we got both of the seats. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. And that's you because Brent is a strong candidate. I, I'm, no, no doubt Thank about you. that, no doubt about that. You are a very strong candidate too. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I think it's so important because once again, that was a collaborative effort. I remember I remember even doing, um, uh, afterwards, I wanted to celebrate previous MPs. <laughs> and we had a dinner and Brett was like, yeah, you think you're getting me out of Sinatra? Eh? <laughs> Get, getting me out of Montague. She kicked me out of Montague. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that was, that but, was know, funny. We said something about politics. Politics, certainly in the FNM, mm -hmm. didn't mean you were a, a, a big tent of many different interests. Got you, got you. You know, and I heard Solid, uh, Loftus Roker say he worked for Salinden as, and then you, you watch some of the, the, uh, the 
family relationships in in the PLP. When we started had when we sat around the cabinet table, there was a wide range range of people mm -hmm. and Loretta would always put her as social services ministry then she would always put those issues forward and you had to put them in the melting pot and come out with a policy at the end of the day yeah and um so and even in the recent minis administration i mean we had denicio diagram yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and then you had uh, the now leader pintard you had different opinions um tian folks carl bethel that aren't necessarily Aligned. Yeah. yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Diametrically opposed, maybe sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. might be better. <laughs> that is true. Right. So, Craig and Brent, if I could just take us back a little bit to talk about Mother B, mm -hmm. Francis Butler, and Sir Roland. You know, as I understand it, you know, Sir Roland, you know, how does this black woman who uh, obviously was quite involved in civil society, how does she get, you know, <laughs> Sir Roland to really participate in all of her events and shed some light around what that relationship really looked like in a tangible way. Obviously, you talked about her, him, you know, being asked to purchase all the remaining cakes and coffees after any fair or whatever. Share a little bit more light around, you know, Sir Roland's she, relationship she, with. She probably uh, picked Francis. up the phone. Interesting. Like, probably saw him at church. Saw him at church. <laughs> yeah. But it was definitely the two of them was. Two of them was not an uh, a demand. It was a what can we each do for each other? Absolutely. She had a big presence in that area. Good. And she did a lot of philanthropic work, and Dad was able to help her. Fantastic. And I think it, it was no questions asked. It was, it got done. And I think, didn't she go on to do the Mother's Club? She, she did. She actually, actually, I, because of her exposure. And I think Dad helped quite a bit that's with the, right, with the Mother's sure Club. That's right. As a result the YWCA, of the, the YMCA, yep. the Silver Belt. It was all about was national right. development. Yeah, it was all, of the it was all your grandmothers. That's yeah. right. They yeah. were all about yeah. national development. She'd been exposed on an international level after her husband had died, right. being in the United States of America, seeing the civil movements and everything. She was also a small-scale entrepreneur. So she had a, well... I think, once again, we got to go back to the church. I think that church foundation yeah. was so important. They were unified in that. They were both strong Methodists. So there was great mutual respect. And Sir Roland obviously was a successful businessman, and he was a politician. I don't think she had any compunction at all whatsoever with calling upon this successful man, who's her neighbor, Absolutely. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. to make sure, to and, well, and her representative, really, well, to make sure that this all you. happened. How did she get to be a Methodist and the Butler family we think of as Anglican? Loretta, that's one for you. You would have to bring real context. <laughs> well, I think, no, I think Sir Milo, um, when he married our grandmother, because she would have been Anglican. Right. Um, I, and I'm, I'm thinking this is how this all came about. He would have become Anglican and St. Matthew's Church, you right. know, also in the pond, which is just a stone's throw away, away from, 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 from Ebenezer. 300 yards apart. You know, but but um, he, I think... Actually, they were originally Baptist somewhere along the way, if I'm not mistaken. But Mother Butler was a devout Methodist. Our grandfather would leave St. Matthew's Church during the singing of the last hymn every Sunday morning and walk up. over to Ebenezer to pay respects to her grave. And Craig, now you say it, it might be the Thompson. 
yeah. connection from probably, a Lutheran. From a Lutheran? Exactly from a Lutheran. That might be the Methodist part. Uh, right. That is the Methodist. That, that's that probably where the connection comes from. Interesting. Yeah. Now that you say that. Right yeah. back in time. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, the Lutheran adventurers um, actually yeah. brought the, the Methodism, mm -hmm. and she was from a Lutheran. Correct. Yes. So, that's so her, where that came her parents yes. Roland sh um, shared also an island lineage as well. So there were a lot of sort of parallels that they sort of built upon, if you will. Yeah. So our father's plaque in the current church in Eleuthera, in the Methodist church in the current Eleuthera, I think one is 1866. That would have been our grandfather. Yeah, yeah oh, that would okay. be our grandfather. And our great-grandfather was 1843 or something. That the, it goes back quite a long way, the Methodism in the current Eleuthera. It traces your and roots to, to the Loyalists, yeah, I one imagine. Was priest, one was a preacher. Yeah. Dad's yeah. father. That's right. Late preacher. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, yeah. as, uh, you know, as we think about 50 years of independence, we think about the legacy of Samilo, Sirolin, you know, chat about how you see, um, let's chat about how we see, you know, Sirolin's legacy being honored in this whole process. And what else could we do? Because at the end, of, we have this colored, rich history filled with ups and downs as, as times have changed. You know, what else could we do to make sure that people know the story? I mean, because despite the political differences, I think there's a beautiful story of reconciliation. Oh, question. A beautiful story of yeah. how we've taken what was political adversaries or even nemesis, if, if people want to use that word, and found ways to, one, create great partnerships with strong, what I call, religious connections. Mm -hmm. Secondly, deep economic and empowering um, vehicles, whether we think of Commonwealth Bank and all the other things from a family perspective. And three generations on, you know, I think of your son, Craig, and your son, Brent, mm -hmm. uh, what I would consider friends of mine. Sure. And we continue yeah. to enjoy these great relationships yeah. when we come from yeah. this not so pleasant exchanges in history, but mm -hmm. have certainly gone grown past that. Absolutely. And there's a lot, I think, for the country to take away from that as we think about race relations in our country, yeah. as we think about just politics as a whole. And, mm -hmm. form, and, how, can and we, how do we form that community in the next 50 years? I think you, both of you deserve a lot of compliments on, on podcasts like this. Yeah. I mean, I, as I said, I've enjoyed watching the former podcasts and I um, hope this one's seen in the same light. We've talked about the YPO group, talked about the church, the business ties. It is the, to the old time legacy groups. It, the feeling is definitely there. Yeah, I. It's beyond me. It's beyond my pay grade to decide the future. Yeah. But it's something that we must keep our young people aware of. Absolutely. And um, I, I'd, I'd like to see perhaps some history books rewritten over the past fifty years that give a very tainted point of view of the past sixty, fifty, sixty years. Um, but that's a small, relatively small point. Um, but I don't know. How, how do you feel, Brent? I'd, Just stick it's sort a pin of a, there. a it's deep not, question. I, it's, it's not, I don't it's think not so a small point. It's actually a do. huge point a because huge point. Yeah. I think that, you know, there was this entire post-colonialism where there was this anti-British, anti-white, anti-this. And that is a huge point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important, just as we are doing this podcast, to be fair and balanced Absolutely. in the way we see things. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. is important that these stories are told so that people do not continue to walk away with the negative um, dictates that have been left. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's so important. So it's not a small point, especially when we're talking about being um, a united Bahamas Absolutely. and being one that we respect and appreciate people of all hues. I mean, I find it very, very disheartening when my white Bahamian citizens, friends, say that you know, people tell them they must go back where they come from yeah. when they're every bit as Bahamian, Bahamian as we are, as I am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, no, it's a huge part of the story. Yeah. So, Brent, you've probably experienced this so much differently than all of us, given your political <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm experience. trying to find a way to, to craft this yeah. so I don't appear offensive, whatever. Anyway, let's start. Let's go at it right ahead on. 67 was majority rule day. Yep. We all know what that stood for. That was the, the black majority of the country taking over from the white minority. Yep. That's what it was. It's been billed as that since 1967. Clearly 100% racial. Now, if you look at the actual votes, they weren't too far off. It was 1818. So Randolph went to be Minister of Labor. Alvin, who had a history with our father in current, they were in business, Went and that created the the um, the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker, and then really sixty eight was the big change because that's when a lot of people left. So we start off in nineteen sixty seven, and if I am a little personal on this, I'll be one hundred percent personal. Um, a lot of history only started in this country in sixty seven. Yeah, we had roads, we had hospitals, we had airports, we had all kinds of things, but. A lot of it started in 67. Now, that was the political spin doctors of the day. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking me, it, um, fast forward, I've had the same thing politically in my life. Mm-hmm. They say, well, that's because you're, you know, you're, you're white, you're privileged, you, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So there's still a very high degree of race in our politics. Yep. So if I when may I, just, when I, when if I, ran, I may cut you for mm-hmm. one moment, because I think people don't quite understand the tongue-in-cheek comment that you made at the start about majority rule. Just to be very clear, majority rule is about the democratic process. No question. The democratic process of those winning the majority of the votes get to govern. Correct. And the what you're saying is that historically, because the majority of the population was black, the story is skewed in such a way that it was like, oh, okay, the blacks have overcome the whites, which is not what majority rule is about. Majority rule is about the democratic process of one man, it, one vote, and those that ha- get the majority I disagree wins. with you. I disagree with you. I see where you're saying coming from because don't forget women didn't have the right to vote. You had the ba- you had the the land vote, and we moved on to that. Sixty two was an election where we had major- we had uh, universal universal sub- suffrage, and then we went on to um, sixty seven. But in the political world, that is being skewed as a very racially charged day. I got you. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's so what I'm we, saying. No, and we need to make sure and that we went from there. Okay, let me do. We went from there to a period where uh, 68, and then I think the, the UBP had, what, four or f- six people in, in, in parliament, um, majority of them were white. Mm-hmm. And it, from periods in there, it was a very racially charged time. 
put a pin in that. I want to ask the question, and maybe you know, everyone will heckle me for this one, but have we gone anywhere in 50 years? Let's write it, let's, and hopefully someone does a part. What have we achieved in independence, which has moved that ball field? Mm. You know, election time is a common thing. Roots was always played. Mm. Uh, race became an issue. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll stop there, but I'll, I'll come back. You, one of the issues we were talking about was whether or not our father has been recognized. Um, I was somewhere, I was on Tucker Road the other day doing something. And a lot of people would come up, came up to me and said, your father helped me here, or yeah. my, your father did this for me. Or, but in the dark days when they were attacking him, in the dark days when they were attacking me, no one picked up the phone yeah. and called and said, hello. Or even got on the, got on the public platform. So one day my old man, sorry, my father called the, uh, the telco and got this really nice girl, and he wrote the management of Batelco, this is after 67, and said, you know, Jane Doe is very helpful, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know, she should be complimented. A couple of days later, this lady comes to see you and says, uh, Mr. Simonette, I need a job. He you said, where were you working before? He said, I'm the lady you wrote to Batelco to say <laughs> that true. I did a good job. <laughs> I no longer have a job. Wow. She then came to work for us. I think worked for us for a number of That's years. Right. Yeah, okay. So we have, you know, sometimes the untold story. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there are other I heard the story about the, the hunter and the lion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are other untold stories about your dad because when you look at um, their contribution to the Baptist community in particular, you know, I always say that, you know, I think it's the church and, you know, the godliness of Sir Roland and people of that generation. You know, Sir Roland, um, people like Prince Hepburn and all of them, they, they can tell the story of his massive contribution to, mm -hmm. to, to their church building. Um, the big one on Blue Hill Road, Market Street. I, I mean, McPhee, I don't remember McPhee. the name. Uh, pardon? Dr. McPhee. Dr. McPhee and those, you know. Yeah. Those are churches that, you know, even though they weren't Methodist, um, Sir Roland actually did so much. And then, of course, the, 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 the camps yep. that they developed through the through all of that for for the children the yeah. summer camps and what have you i think that well, we have to get the story in about the youth camp now uh, absolutely when brett will mm -hmm. have to correct me when i go wrong but on our front porch my father had all of the denominations at the time interesting again i'm talking about 78 and this is important and said now listen i'd like to make a contribution to a youth camp in the bahamas and it turned out that the Christies had land and my father had land our father had land right in the james Siston area mm -hmm. which geographically is the center of the Bahamas, approximately, approximately. So he thought we'd put this youth camp here and he built the youth camp and had the female dormitory, the male dormitory, a big uh, um, dining and classroom wing, library up top, it's still there. Mm. James Sistern, if you ever go behind James Sistern on the north side, you'll see it. And he couldn't get the religions to all agree to run it. Interesting. It fell apart, never worked. And it turned out it's now being run by a, a lovely group from Georgia. That's right. Um, they they had the foreigners come in and That's actually right. run yeah. run this it's part camp. Of the math. But it's just one one story of our history that um, perhaps not many people know. Yeah. And I think it's important <laughs> because when you talk about the contribution of Sir Roland, you see that he had a true vested interest 
in his country, in the future of his country, with the children, because those camps, they were well, um, you know, organized mm -hmm. and children left New Providence to go each to year That's right. to go to have this family island experience. Well, Kate started uh, Absolutely. Well, Kate. Yeah. And those are things that were very, very important mm -hmm. that we do not tell the story about. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I know about it because of our, our involvement. And mm -hmm. people sometimes don't talk and about it. And I think it. a lot of times we do things anonymously or we don't talk about it because of it may open another avenue. Yeah. You know, I mean, I watch, I know in business people have it there a picture they're giving a check to Ranfley Homes or something because it's economically, for some of us doing that, it just says, ah, that's another one to add <laughs> to my list to ask. Yeah. So there are, there I is a lot, a lot of times when things are done anonymously because of, of circumstances. Well, I think it's important, you know, that we get on the record, especially on what we're trying to achieve in this legacy podcast. We want to tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. We want mm -hmm. to tell um, the truth. We want to be able to encourage other people to understand that there is nothing wrong in doing good. Absolutely. And That's... there are persons who have done good that we have not recognized. Absolutely. And that this is the only way we're truly going to build a stronger and better Bahamas over the next 50 years and beyond. And what is good to one person, someone else might disagree with. Absolutely. Absolutely. But at the time, I mean, there are times when we were in cabinet that we did made decisions that we you can look back and say, why did we do that? But we had to make them on the basis Based of the information that was presented to us at that time. Yeah, so being good. a Monday morning quarterback is great. Yeah, but yeah, when yeah. you have to make that decision yeah, yeah. <laughs> in politics, in life, in business, you have to do it to the best of your ability at that time. That is true. Yeah, that's true. That is and, really true. And, true. So we, we should judge people on that. Basis. On that. I agree. So listen, it's been, uh, you know, I, I think a great conversation. Uh, certainly want to, you know, thank you both, Brent and Craig, for joining us. Thank you, Loretta Zoe, for being such a wonderful host. I got one final question is, listen, I am third generation. Cameron, who is not here, would mm -hmm. have been third generation. We still know of multiple generations of the Simonet group or the various Simonet enterprises from uh, shipbuilding to now butlers in food and distribution. I just want us to close with one nugget to inspire other families who are thinking about how do they create multi-generational businesses. Perhaps think about recognizing that you know race is actually a thing that can be leveraged mm -hmm. because the commonality of what I call the rebels of Sir Roland and Samila was actually what has created what some people may call dynasties, one white, one black, but all Bahamians. What is that one nugget, maybe Craig, Brent, Loretta, you would leave with our audiences before we wrap up? I think to anyone as a family on legacy, it's a big challenge, but I would point someone towards youth and sports. I think those are the two events that galvanize our society. Whatever sport you're talking about, uh, or whatever youth group you're talking about, but if you had to make a contribution in one area, the area that I would focus on would be youth and sports. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I only have one word: hard work. Absolutely. Two words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two Whatever words. it is, yeah. it's hard work, and, yeah. it, and it started with our forefathers who worked hard. And it doesn't come easy. If you want to succeed in whatever you feel, whether it's sports, business, it's not wake up at 10 o'clock and leave the office at 2. Absolutely. It's hard work. And That's I have fair. seen that in, I, I can attest to that with Brent in particular. 
even in his, you know, what we consider retirement. But having said that, I think it's also important to remember that, um, you know, we should not go outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. You know, in order to achieve that next big goal, be a little bit uncomfortable and mm -hmm. reach out across, you know, the political divide, the social divide, the color divide. Let's unify ourselves. No and um, just getting back to what Craig has talked about with youth and sport, I see him actually living that every day. Absolutely. And I would like to commend you. Maybe sometimes you all don't want to toot your own horns. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of modesty, but in modesty also people lose the big picture. The whole sailing camp that's going on in Eleuthera mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. yes, I think very is, is very, yeah. very important. Yeah. Um, I commend the government for making sailing now our mm -hmm. national sport. sport. Yep. But, you know, the Simonets have always kept that historical um, maritime aspect of their history in the forefront. And now it's paid off because you see sailing is now that national sport. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, thank you for what you're doing in Eleuthera. Well, uh, maybe one day you'll teach me how to sail as well. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I think- I'll accept that challenge. Yeah, I think, I think that, is, that is so important. Yeah, good. Okay. Thank, thank you, you guys so much, thank Greg much. and Brent. I think the perspective that you added, we hope leaves our guests with something to think about. Oftentimes this issue of race in our country, the political change that we've gone through over 50 years, can often leave people with bitter wounds. And our hope is to really get people to recognize that there's a bridge that we can build mm -hmm. or we can choose to tear down. I think certainly as families, both legacy families, we've sought to build bridges. And I invite our audience to continue to, let's build bridges as we think about celebrating 50 years of independence because our country is better off. There's a lot more value to create. There's a lot more lives to empower. But before we wrap up, Loretta, I want you to thank our sponsors. First of all, I just want to thank you, my brilliant cousin, for how you bring it all together. You're absolutely brilliant, and I commend you. I then want to really take this opportunity to say that I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you two Seminette friends. It has been, you know, we weren't afraid to touch on things that can perhaps be a little controversial, yeah. but it's so important that we did it. I would like to just close out by saying thank you so much to Echo Gallery at Bahamar yeah. for sponsoring this show. Mm -hmm. We okay. love this space and we're so grateful to you. And of course, to the Butler Legacy Foundation, also sponsoring this show. And we invite those of you who enjoy this show that if you'd like to be a sponsor, we're open to sponsorship as well. Thank you very much, our guests. You have been phenomenal. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, Franklin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.